0: All right. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing this morning? All right. If you're online, I hope that there's more life there than there is here in the hall. Uh, But man, I'm just so grateful again to be with you this morning. And before we dive in, just to let you know that we are going to be doing communion together just now. So if you're online, you've got just a few minutes to go and find a salty cracks and some grape juice or whatever you can find there. And if there's anyone here who hasn't received their communion pack on the way in. Won't, won't you please raise your hand? We've got someone here. Anybody else? Please, want to keep your hand raised on the other side as well. Uh, keep your hands raised until we do get something to you. And so while those uh, communion packs are getting to you, I know most of you know that um, before we went to this whole COVID season we had, zero published authors on staff at Riverside. But do you know that now you've got two published authors on staff at Riverside? Uh, Some of you know about... Oh, it's amazing. It really is amazing. Some of you know about the book that I released earlier this year, The Reason for Everything that's going to be available after the service. Just come and find me or Gene. And that is really equipping you to either wrestle with some of the very difficult questions of life and faith or for you to equip yourself to be a tool to speak to other people about their questions about life and faith, all right? And uh, then we've got Jean, who has recently published her book, and it is called Come Alive. Yes, she does deserve a round of applause for this. It's a devotional book, and if you know anything about the devotional stuff that Jean writes, it is going to take you on an incredible journey through the book of Acts and the Exodus. And so both of these are available from us after the service. Such incredible resources. And both of us have such a heart for the church. So we really hope that it is a blessing to you. All right, so a quick show of hands. Who of you would call yourself an extrovert? All right, so we do have some extroverts here. I want more amens from you, by the way. During the services, not just today, but just open invitation, more amens, more hallelujahs, just bring it, bring your extrovert nature as a gift to the church, all right? Extroverts, all right? Introverts, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in your heart. No, no, no. Okay. Any introverts out there? I, I'm an introvert. All right. Any ambiverts or undecidedverts? Okay. We've got a couple of those. Now, whether you're an introvert or an ambivert or an extrovert, when COVID-19 hits us, every single one of us took strain. I think at first, especially the extroverts. Because you're so used to people. You're so used to Sundays. You're so used to just the energy that you get from being around people. And so that was so hard for you. At first, the introverts were like, yes! Me and my book, and no one's going to judge me for it. (laughs) Thank you, Carmen. Carmen loves her books. But then the three weeks became three months. And I'm wondering just how many of you, whether you would self-describe yourself as an extrovert or an introvert or something in between, how many of you just noticed how you took strain with regards to you and your friendships? Maybe you noticed you took strain. Maybe you saw as certain people started going out again. How is it that they're seeing those people and not me? Maybe absence didn't make their heart grow fonder, to quote a proverb from, from last week. And so maybe certain friendships drifted away. Maybe you just realize that I just need to see less people less often. And I'm quite happy to be less socialized. Either way, I know there is probably not a single person in the room that feels differently about friendships and relationships post-COVID compared to pre-COVID. Now, we've just started a brand new series called The Way of Wisdom. And what we're going to be doing is looking at a number of very practical themes that come out of the book of Proverbs, and we're going to trust God to give us wisdom in these themes. And what we learned last week was that wisdom wasn't exclusively about what we know, but it was more about how we live our lives, how we make our choices who we're going to appeal to for that wisdom. Am I going to try and be wise in my own eyes or am I going to trust God's wisdom? And today we're going to be taught a lesson from God's Word with respect to our friendships. Because God wants us to flourish. God wants us to live well in His world. And one of the gifts he has for every single one of us is good friendships. But that path needs to be lived well. Recently, my mom gave me all the scrapbooks she's made of me over the years. Remember when you actually had to look at a photograph all right, so she gave me all these scrapbooks, and I started paging through them. And it was just wonderful seeing all these memories that I'd forgotten about. But what was so interesting was how each phase of my life was defined by the friends I had. Whether it was the friends that I had when I was four, five, and six years old, or my primary school friends, or my high school friends. And now that I'm 41 years old, so much of my life is still defined by the friends I have. And God wants to give us wisdom so that increasingly we are able to flourish and live well in His world as He speaks to us about friendships this morning. So here's probably the biggest idea we get from the book of Proverbs concerning our friends. And it is this, choose your friends wisely. Choose your friends wisely wisely. Proverbs 13 verses 20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Now let's, as you're thinking about your friends, let's quickly define someone who is wise and someone who is a fool. Because maybe you think a fool is that one guy from high school who was drunk seven nights a week. All right? No, 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 my friends aren't fools. Well, according to Proverbs, the wise one is the one who recognizes that to live well in this world, we need to live according to God's wisdom. And the fool may very well seem wise in the eyes of the world, but is rejecting God's wisdom as a way of living well in this world. I don't know if you ever remember your parents, you bring a friend home and then afterwards your parents call you aside and whether you were 7 or 17 and they're like, listen, Johnny, I don't know if I want you hanging around with that boy. And when you were 7 or 17, what did you say back to your parents? Well, I'm going to hang out with them anyway. Now we're at 27 or 37 or 47 or 57 and we're still Doing that right, and this verse is telling us listen, when we go through the circles of influence in our life, because to quote Shrek, we're like onions. And as we go from the more external levels of our lives into the internal levels of our lives, we're going to have friendships that don't really make a huge difference in my life. And then there are going to be those friends that influence me greatly, and I hopefully influence them greatly. And when we get to higher degrees of influence, are those people moving you towards living well in God's world? Or away from it. And we need to take an audit of that. I don't know if wisdom, though, is always the first thing we look for when we make new friends. On average, it's usually you go to someone's house, you're having a briar, you strike up a conversation with someone, and often it's some form of chemistry. We like the same movies, or we come from the same high school, or we enjoy the same sports, and you've got this chemistry, and a friendship so often gets born out of that, and that is absolutely fantastic. We need to have some great chemistry in our friendships. Sometimes what causes us to become friends, and some of us are admittedly more and less conscious of this, comes to us through Proverbs 19, verses 6. It says, many curry favor with a ruler. And everyone is the friend of a man who gives gifts. Meaning sometimes we are friends with someone because of how they make me feel or what I can get out of the relationship. And so, oh, this is a powerful person. And so I feel good in proximity to this person. Or he has a wealthy person. And so I'm going to hang out with this person because that meets some other unmet needs in my life. Now, let me say, there's nothing wrong with being uh, friends with powerful or wealthy people. But the Scriptures are saying that we need to prioritize wisdom, especially as these people move closer and closer to the core of who we are, because they are going to influence us One way or the other. Now, I don't think the Bible is saying that we only need to have Christian friends. And every time you get together, you need to pray and read the Bible all day. Chemistry is great. Watching sport together is great. But let us think about the trajectory of that influence. So here's a question that I've often been asked. And it is this. If I am a Christian, can I have non-Christian friends? And so once again, if we think about these circles of increasing influence in our lives, that the people who are closest to us are going to influence us, we need to be aware of that, and we need to be wise to that. But here's the thing. Matthew chapter 11, verses 19, describes Jesus as a friend of sinners. And so I fundamentally believe that as Christians, we need to have non-Christian friendships. And these can be wonderful friendships. I'm not advocating to get your pet's little non-Christian friend and make them your project. I'm advocating having genuine mutual relationships. And maybe there's a lot of wisdom that can flow from them to you and you to them. But at the heart of it, you need to be aware when it comes to your faith. And when it comes to living wisely in God's world according to God's ways, Which way are you being influenced by which friends? And you need to be wise to that. And you need to make some decisions. You see, for Jesus, His primary influence was His relationship with His Father. But then Jesus also had the circle of the disciples, who in many ways were His primary friendship circles. And then, yes, he was a friend of sinners. And as we just think through those layers, we need to ensure that we are primarily influenced by God. That we have the wise surrounding us to strengthen us and keep us accountable and influence us towards living wisely in God's world. And then, yes, of course, we can have many other friends in our lives. We're going to be a presence in their lives. We're going to have a mutual, meaningful relationship with them. But we're also going to put this verse into practice. So if the big idea of Proverbs is to choose friends wisely, what are the kinds of things we can look for in a friend? Well, the first thing that's going to come out of this book is to look for friends of character. Look for friends of integrity, friends that are trustworthy. Proverbs 22, verses 11 says, He who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king for his friend. You want a good friend? Well, that friend's going to have a pure heart and have gracious speech. So maybe you stop me and say, Stephen, well, I've got no idea how to find a friend of a pure heart. I mean, aren't we always putting our best foot forward? And so for weeks or maybe months, I have impression A of someone. And only after time do I realize maybe my first impression was wrong. So how can I choose a friend of a pure heart? Well, the scriptures say that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Which is why this verse connects a pure heart to someone whose speech is gracious. Someone whose speech is gracious. I'm not talking about flattery. That, that's its own brokenness. And so we can learn a lot about someone's heart by their gracious speech. Someone who's always speaking well of people. Someone who's going to be slow to speak ill of people or situations. Someone to quote loosely from Philippians chapter 4, whose speech and whose conduct and whose attention is always being drawn to the things that are noble, things that are true, things that are excellent, things that are praiseworthy. That is going to be a good indication that they are going to be a friend of a pure heart. And not only is this about how they're going to influence you, But every single friendship at some time is going to hit a bit of a speed wobble. And you want to ensure that as you navigate some difficult territory with this friend, that you've got maturity and graciousness on your side. And when you are going through a tough time, you want to make sure that you have gracious, wise friends on your team who are going to move you towards wisdom as you navigate some difficult moments in your life. Just to give you an example, just a few verses later, he has the equal and opposite warning of the previous verse. Look at what it talks about, what comes out of our mouth. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. This is not about being judgmental. This is about choosing Wisely knowing that at some point, if you choose badly, you're going to be the recipient of that bad choice. So let's be wise as we look for gracious friends, friends of character. Number two, we're going to look for faithful friends. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find Listen, it's very easy to say, listen, bro, I've got your back. I don't know how girls say that to each other. But Oaks are like, listen, buddy, if you need me, I'm there. It's a very easy thing to say. Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. A faithful friend is not only there when times are easy when it is convenient for them, when you can fit easily into their schedule, there are going to be tough moments and a faithful friend is going to be there in adversity. Proverbs 27 verses 10 says, Do not forsake your friend and the friend of your father. One of the most famous friendships in the Bible, I love this story, is the friendship that developed between David and Jonathan. This was before David became King David. Jonathan was the son of King Saul. Now, I wonder if you've ever been at someone's home, especially when you were probably in high school, and you just got the feeling that your friend's parents didn't like you. I had a friend in high school. No jokes. We were pretty good friends for a season, and so... Every single time I walked into his house, his mother greeted me with a cuss word. All right, and at first that absolutely freaked me out until I realized, for in some strange way, this was a term of endearment for her. But going back to those moments where you go to a friend's house or maybe a girlfriend's house, and you're like, I'm convinced that your mom or dad really don't like me. Now, as uncomfortable as that is, have you ever been at a friend's house and one of their parents pulls out the chef's knife and tries to pin you to the wall? I hope none of you have experienced that. But that was David's experience. See, King Saul, Jonathan's father, hated David. He was so jealous of David that not only did he kind of hate him in his heart, he literally wanted to kill him, and yet in spite of such adversity and such a difficult situation and context, David and Jonathan had this incredible friendship. 1 Samuel 18 verses 3 says this, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. So Jonathan was there for David, and he defended David, and he protected David. There's this incredible story where King Saul and David were kind of playing this cat and mouse game, where King Saul and his armies were looking for David all over the Judean countryside. At one point, David was in the deserts. And somehow, Jonathan found out where David was. But David was afraid for his life. And so at the risk to his own life, it says this, 1 Samuel twenty three sixteen. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh, This wasn't just popping in the car, going around the corner, or getting an Uber. This was a journey, and he helped him to find strength in God. One of the ways God wants to encourage you through difficult seasons is through faithful friends. Dr. Henry Cloud, he's a Christian psychologist, and he tells a story about this research and I know it's kind of strange with our modern sensitivities, but just hear it out, where these researchers took some monkeys and put them in isolated cages and then stressed them out with flashing lights. And then afterwards took their blood to measure their stress hormones. Then they repeated the experiment, but this time they put a buddy in in the cage with the monkey. And do you know that after stressing them out the same way, And taking their bloods, their stress hormones went down by 50%. They were better able to cope with the stress by simply having a buddy in the cage with them. So, who's your monkey buddy? Who's your monkey buddy? God wants a monkey buddy for you, all right? Every single one of us is navigating some stressful times. And one of the best gifts to you right now is a faithful friend. Number three, we're going to look for gracious friends. Earlier we spoke about gracious words. Let's talk about gracious friends. Proverbs 17 verses 9 says, He who covers over an offense promotes love. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Let's talk about this first part. He who covers over an offense promotes love. Put simply, a good friend is a friend who is not easily offended. They've got the emotional and the spiritual and the social maturity that you don't need to walk on eggshells around them all the time. They are able to easily absorb the smaller offenses out of maturity and graciousness and genuine love. That's the first part of this verse, that the second half is the opposite. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. This is the friend who is easily offended. And instead of speaking to you about it, they take it to somebody else. They build allies. They build a team. Can you believe she said... I can't believe he did. Or they put something on social media, easily offended and building allies. If that is you or if that has been your experience, has that ever worked? Are your friendships stronger by being easily offended and building allies? And we know the answer to that question. Proverbs sixteen twenty eight says, gossip separates close friends. I mentioned earlier that there are going to be seasons when even the best of friendships hit some tough times. And there are going to be moments where some difficult things need to be said. Proverbs 27, verses 6 says, but wounds from a friend can be trusted. Now, we've already eliminated petty offense. I don't know if you've ever had someone come up to you and say, listen, you know that I love you, but... And you're like, I-, I don't know if I know that I love you, that you love me. Think about David and Jonathan. That friend had been gracious. A track record of faithfulness. And when we've got those kinds of friendships Yes, hey, Steve, I need to speak to you about something. Let me offer it to you. Let's see what that means to you, and let's talk about it. We need that at times, and Craig is going to be speaking that in a few weeks' time, and it's going to be a very powerful message. But even in this tough moment, I am there for you, is what is being communicated. So I'm hoping that you're seeing some incredible wisdom in how we choose our friends and on what basis we choose our friends. Because God wants to bless you with great friendships. And some of this wisdom can truly change the trajectory and the quality of our lives even from today. Maybe some of us have some things to think about. An audit needs to be taken of our lives. We need to trust God for some practical wisdom and some insight into our influential relationships and what to do about it. And so we're all going to go out and make great friends. Easy, right? No, no. I'll never forget a famous pastor. He's talking about how a member phoned him up and said, hey, listen, For whatever reason, I don't know what it is, but I'm struggling to make friends in the church. And I know that has been some of your experience. And this breaks my heart as it broke his heart. And so listen to his advice. His advice was, if you want these kinds of friends, you need to be that kind of friend. Yes, we've got some wisdom to go out and apply when it comes to choosing our friends. But even before we do that, we need to be that kind of friend. Are you a place of wisdom? Are you moving towards the ways of God or away? Are you friends with people because of what you can get from them? Is your heart pure? Is your speech gracious? Are you easily offended? Do you build allies? Are you faithful in easy and in difficult times? Are you only looking to receive and never to give? Because if you want friends like this, you need to be a friend like this. I've often had people say to me, Stephen, why is it that I can make friends at work so easily, but I find it so difficult to do it in church? And in many ways, we've covered some of those topics. But on top of that, just think about it. Think about your friends at work. You're spending 60 to 80 hours a week with them, work time and social time. We come to church once a month. Life group once every two months, and we wonder why we don't have friends. Guys, if this is what you want, and God is saying, I want this for you, you need a monkey in your cage. We need to choose this, we need to be wise to this, we need to make decisions. Maybe some of you say, well, Stephen, maybe that's easier for you because you're the pastor. Now, guys, what I'm about to say is not one of these shame, put me moments. I promise you, I've worked through all this kind of stuff. But being a pastor and trying to have friends in the church is just weird. It's just weird. Let me tell you. Which hats am I wearing? Pastor hats, elder hats, friend hats? I don't always know. In some churches... We try and downplay the kind of celebrity role of leaders here. But in some churches, being friends with the pastor is like bragging rights. Like there's extra blessing by being close to them. And we've sensed that at times. And I'm like, that's just weird. For those of you who know me, there isn't extra any blessing that you get from being close to me. We've had people think that pastors should have no friends in the church. We've had people think that pastors should be friends with everyone in the church. And so for the longest time, I chose not to have friends. I believed the lie that the previous generation had given me that leadership is lonely. Some of you may be aware, depending on what you read, Online, some of you may be aware about the string of public church leaders and pastors over the last 18, 24 months who have either experienced a moral failure, who have stepped away out of ministry, and some of whom have even committed suicide. And as friends and families have gotten together to try and understand what is going on in these people's lives, at the top of the list, was that they were isolated and alone and without a monkey in their cage. And so I knew by keeping people away from me, I was setting myself up for failure. So I had to choose to risk making genuine friends. And the invitation to every single one of you is to do the same thing. Let me say this. Now we're talking about friendships. It doesn't feel like Bible study or prayer or Christian-y things. But by responding to the wisdom that we hear this morning is an act of faith. It's trusting that this is what Jesus wants for you. And whether you're an introvert and you don't really feel like you need more people in your lives, Jesus is saying you do need wise people in your lives. You do need faithful, gracious friends. Maybe some of you, as an act of faith, are going to reevaluate the position of some of the friendships in your life. And I want to encourage you to do that. But here's the thing. Is anyone in this room going to live up to the standards that we've just highlighted this morning? You can look around you and you can look at yourself and I guarantee you will fail at some level to be that faithful, gracious, wise friend. So imagine we did have a perfect friend. A friend who is always available. A friend who is always gracious. A friend who is always willing to speak life and love and truth in our lives. A friend who is always prepared to give. And a friend who is always prepared to be inconvenienced for my good. You know, out of the many... Ways that we talk about our relationship with God. And this morning we just sang of God's majesty and God's glory and God's holiness. So depending on your background and your proclivities, some of us, we think primarily through God is a holy God. So Proverbs says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And so I've got this reverence for a majestic, holy God. God is someone that I Honor and I submit to and I obey and I worship. And all of that is powerfully true. But do you know that one of the greatest benefits of being a Christian, and I know to some of you this kind of language will make you feel uncomfortable, but one of the greatest benefits that we have of being a Christian is that Jesus calls you. Friend, friend. John fifteen verses fifteen, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a master's business. Instead, I have called you. Friends, for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus wants to be Lord in your life. He wants you to submit to Him because you trust Him and you obey Him. He wants to be your Savior and He wants you to love Him and to know His love. He wants to be king in your life and he wants to be worshipped because he is worthy of worship and your heart is blessed when you worship him. And, and he wants to be your friend. He wants to be the closest friend to you. Jesus says, I share these things with you because we are friends now. We don't have to come bowing and begging and scraping. He is our friend. One of the greatest ways he has demonstrated his love for us is the opening verses. And with this, we're going to move to communion. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And so for now, I want us to just press pause on thinking about what kind of friend am I? Or what do I need to do as I think about my friendship circles? And I want us to recognize that our Lord and King and Savior laid down His life for you so that He can call you friend. And that may sound sacrilegious to some of you. But Moses was described as a friend of God. Abraham was described as a friend of God. And Stephen Pullman is described as a friend of God. You know, the only metaphor that makes sense for me here is the metaphor of Aslan. If you think about Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan was a powerful animal. Aslan was not tame, but he was good. As then devoured his enemies and showed and demonstrated his power and his authority. And yet he called these little children friends. And I'm sure at some time, if I can just insert myself into those stories, these little kids are looking at this powerful lion going, how is it that this lion calls me friend? And there is this perfect mixture of awe and reverence and love and intimacy and friendship all in one. Jesus died so that you can have that with him. So we're going to take communion together. I just want to warn you, there's kind of two layers. There's the first plastic layer that you're going to take off. And then there's the second tinfoil layer. We're going to have a video playing on the screen behind me. So maybe let this video play for a minute or two. Let the song orientate your heart towards worship. Think about the friend who laid down his life. For you, and then in your own time, eat of the bread, the broken body of Christ for you, and drink of the juice, a picture of his blood shed, so that we can experience peace and love and grace with the Father. And then we will close in prayer afterwards.